0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 81 of the Switch Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Cargan. With me is Andrew Brown.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: No uh, genie today. Uh, How are you feeling, Andrew? Okay. Uh, I am also feeling okay. Uh, I would have been feeling better, but I just watched the uh, Power Rangers reboot movie.
1: (laughs) Do you want a Krispy Kreme donut now?
0: Uh, uh, No. (laughs)
1: Well, then the product placement has
0: failed. (laughs) That was some, um, drab. Power Rangers. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it sort of sits in that weird thing where it's not awful, but it's it's definitely not good either.
1: <laughs> do you want to do naughty things to farm animals now?
0: Yeah, that was a weird start. <laughs> <laughs> weird introduction to Jason. And and half of the only reason I watched it was because it had the dude from, uh, Stranger Things in it. And wow. I was like, I need to see this guy as a hero. And then he starts off, like, pretty much just as Billy from Stranger Things. <laughs> Well, let's uh, talk about some games. Uh, so in this this week we're going to talk about the uh, news about the Switch Lite and what that means for the, the future of the Switch. We're going to talk a little bit about Rime, Hollow Knight, Little Nightmares, Skulls of the Shogun, Dead in Vinland and Songbird Symphony. Okay, well let's get straight into the uh, Switch Lite stuff. Okay, so the the leaks that uh, Ginny and Andrew talked about last week were a little hit and miss about what the the new version of the Switch would be. Um, so it is a handheld-only Switch with uh, Joy-Cons that aren't detractable, uh, and it's a smaller form factor, smaller screen. Last week it was hypothesized it would be bigger and give you more real estate. That is that's not the case. Uh, that will give you an extra half an hour of battery life if you're playing Breath of the Wild, but probably a bit longer if you're playing less intensive stuff. Um, interestingly, they've thrown in a, a proper D-pad on this one, which uh, the majority seems to love. But I like the current D-pad.
1: Cross pad's fine. <laughs> yeah. Change is okay, people. It's all right.
0: Now I have I have mixed thoughts. You know, it it's there to be like the cheaper alternative. I think it's for the uh, child. User base who are going to be all about uh Pokemon Sword and Shield in the the next couple of months. I don't have a problem with this conceptually. Uh I think it fills a hole. It's it's obviously going to aim to be their replacement for the 3DS which they're still publicly claiming isn't dead yet. But <laughs> right. <laughs> they they're not supporting it. It's got a great library. It's still available. It's still worth worthwhile, but you know, this is the The new version of the 3DS. I like the look of it. I think the build looks nice. I kind of want one because, you know, I don't treat my Switch as a portable in that I, you know, like I take it everywhere with me as I I still do my 3DS and my Vita. Uh, I treat my Switch as like a, hey, I'm going to work and I can play this for an hour or a bit over lunch or, you know, going to a family members and I can sit and play. It doesn't have the same portability as some of the smaller systems. This might sort of fit that gap. Uh, And they have improved the way that their Nintendo Online accounts work. So you can sign into two Switches at once and download your library. That's a thing.
1: I didn't know you could do that. That that makes it a little easier for me to swallow this pill.
0: Yeah, because I raised that and I got quickly corrected. On Twitter, um, the problem you're going to get into is the cloud saves because it doesn't work for all games. So, uh, things like Animal Crossing next year, you won't be able to upload your save and then just download it on another device. Um, but you can manually transfer them between consoles, I believe, uh, over the Wi-Fi. So, maybe not as big a deal. It's just a handheld only. It doesn't switch <laughs> anymore, which was the whole point of calling it the Switch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, would you sit on this? Because I I, I kind of want one just for the smaller form factor, but um, there are still rumors that there's going to be a Switch Pro, which beefs up the power a little bit, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking I'll hold out for, for that instead.
1: Yeah, I've read about the specs for the rumored hardware upgrade on it. It's reading like it's just going to be better technology sold in the next line of switches that get manufactured it doesn't sound like it's actually going to be a new model which is actually a complete upgrade it's just if you buy a newer switch you get slightly better stuff in it which is a normal part of a platform getting older even the playstation 4s and the xbox ones if you buy those now the stuff that's in them now is better than when they launched
0: absolutely yeah
1: but my overall thoughts in this one is this feels pretty transformative uh this is something that i talked about back when the switch first launched is it's never going to be accepted as a hybrid it's always going to be considered one or the other and since nintendo's handhelds have always been more successful than their consoles to the point that their handhelds have at times kept the company afloat while their consoles crash and burn like with the gamecube and with the wii u that kind of felt like that was the direction this was going uh the 3ds is on the way out so it felt like a corporate decision we need a handheld oh dear god we need a handheld or we could die <laughs> <laughs> uh but it, it just it felt like a capitulation to that idea like it, it's formalizing that nintendo doesn't want to compete in the console market and it's happier having the handheld market all to themselves. Uh, it's like the, the most cynical lesson they could have possibly learned from the Wii U's failure. But it also completely ignores that what handheld gaming is now is is mobile gaming. That's what people play when they're away from the house, except for, you know, real enthusiasts like me and Andy, where we actually do still play our Vita's and our, <laughs> our Switches portably. It, it feels like it, it's reaching towards an audience that I, I'm not convinced is there anymore. And like, even for pokemon and buying a switch light or a light switch as we've been trying to call it <laughs> uh for your kid uh this is just a personal belief but i don't believe in buying an inferior product just because it's for a child and that's that's what this is this this feels like a neutered product for me as andy alluded to everything that made the switch special has been cut out of this uh like the, the entire first commercial that came out in october 2016 Showed off the Switch on all its features, and they're not here. (laughs) The Joy-Cons don't get detached anymore. It doesn't connect to the TV, which is the biggest problem for me with this thing, and it's why I'm just not on board with this at all. uh, As I said many times when we talked about a potential upgrade for the Switch, this is what I thought it would be. would be no detachable Joy-Cons, primarily considered a portable unit, you know, aimed at that market of people who mostly play their switches portably, but it will connect to the dock if you want it to. It just won't come with the dock. Uh, that was wrong. This does not connect to the dock in any way, shape, or form. So it's just like, why is this a switch? It's not a switch, it's just a powerful tablet. Uh, and it's pretty disappointing to see it.
0: The, the whole node docking thing's baffling because it's still got a USB C port. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I, I yeah I don't know how much of a saving not having that functionality that a Switch saves on not having that in that port. Or maybe, maybe it's just a form factor thing with them making it smaller and they can't fit the tech in there.
1: I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I, there is a $100 price break, and that's pretty significant for how much a Switch costs. But it also gets rid of the thing that makes the Switch. What is the Switch? And maybe I'm very alone in this camp, but I still really like that I can play a console game on my tv at home and then when i need to go and leave and do something like go on my commute to work or when i'm at the laundromat which is the times that i mostly play my switch portably i can keep playing the same games that i was playing at home on my big tv that is still a real selling point for the switch for me maybe i'm completely alone in that because they have done market research and apparently most people do play their switches mostly handheld and we can also infer some other things from this product like people don't care about the joy-con toys has labo been a failure can we read that into this because if this is what the switch is going to be in the future the labo is dead basically and i think now we can also understand more why Resident Evil 4 didn't have motion controls when it launched, because Capcom probably knew this product was coming out, and this product does not have motion controls. Are we going to be seeing fewer and fewer games with motion controls in the coming years? (laughs) Is Mario Party and the 1-2 experiments, are those dead? Are we not going to see games like that anymore? And I guess maybe players really don't care about the docking feature. As I said, I was really into it, and this was my logic I was going into with The cheaper version of it with no dock included because when i bought my xbox 360 when it first came out i didn't have as much money to throw around as i do now so i bought an xbox 360 arcade which was the basic model of the xbox 360 it didn't come with really anything except for a console but over time i bought the wireless adapter for it so it could connect to the internet and i bought the hard drive for it and these were all the things that came with the pro level xbox 360 that cost a little extra and that was kind of how I envisioned this model of the Switch being, but that's not how it's turned out. So if somebody wants to buy a Switch light as like a ground floor model and they want to upgrade to a full model later on by just buying a dock, they can't do that because this, the light switch does not connect to the TV, which is baffling to me. Why? <laughs> Why does this product exist? Uh, but, you know, they there this is probably still gonna be a successful product as it's been said the the Pokemon sales for it are probably gonna be great. They've got a Pokemon pack in coming out for the holidays and it's probably gonna be given to a bunch of kids and they're gonna love it and they're never gonna notice that it doesn't connect to the T V
0: and I I think the parents won't want it to connect to the T V in a in a normal yeah. household. So
1: yeah. And I've heard a few people argue, is like, well, it's to prevent arguments. That way one person can have the Switch on the TV and everybody else can have their own Switch. They just play portably. I'm just like, well, that doesn't prevent any arguments. And you're just going to have people fighting over who gets the good Switch and everybody else has to play <laughs> with the the cheap one that doesn't have a big screen on it. But <laughs> again, uh, that's, that's, that's me imposing my priorities on it. At the end of the day, I'm mostly just glad that I don't have to have a $350 upgrade in November now (laughs) I can just keep the Switch I have
0: yeah I'm I'm sort of in that or at least I want to I'm going to bide my time because if they do like a a Zelda themed one because I always keep missing out on the cool uh, (laughs) niftily designed uh, reissues then I can I can just bide my time and get one that I like there will Um, definitely
1: be one for Breath of the Wild 2 which I have taken to calling Shadow of the Earth because I think that's what the game's going to be called but (laughs) we'll see if I'm right about that (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm more in the camp that I, I think it's a, a product that uh, complements the current Switch. I don't think the current Switch is going away. I think this is definitely to pull in the, the Pokemon crowd, because I, I think they're worried about parents looking at this expensive device and going no. So I think this is just makes it a little bit more um, palatable for, for parents at Christmas time. Yeah, I, th- I think it's something that could work well in conjunction, at least now that they have this account thing sorted out with an existing Switch knowing that it's not more powerful or anything i'm i'm happy to wait and and get one that i want and see if they do actually do a beefier switch a la the the new 3ds Um. so basically I, i think this is the 2ds to the 3ds
1: it's not that bad i thought the 2ds always was a cheap product but mm. this doesn't look cheap. This just looks like an unnecessary focus group product to me. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I- I'm not. It's going to sell
0: by the bucket load regardless.
1: Probably, yeah. So,
0: I-, I think it just opens it up to people who have been reluctant to spend that amount of money on something that's less powerful as well than, than its competitors. But, yeah, so that's it. Oh, also worth mentioning, they it doesn't have any HD rumble, which is a plus. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> that is just rubbish and loud and annoying.
1: Two years now, I've had my HD Rumble disabled. I think <laughs> I don't miss it.
0: Same, <laughs> so, yeah. It's uh, it's not great. It's it, it's better when you're playing, uh, when it's docked. But annoying. yeah, it's it's just this annoying whirring noise, and I've 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 got cats to whine at me. So yeah. <laughs> and with our thoughts on the Switch light out of the way, let's hear what Ginny thinks.
2: In terms of my thoughts about the Switch Lite, I know that Andrew and myself briefly went over this um, on our, our, I guess, solo, well, duo cast, um, not so long ago, about what we wanted to see in the Switch Lite and what we really cared about seeing in the Switch Lite. Basically, they've confirmed almost everything that we have predicted. So handheld only, um, non-detachable Joy-Cons, but we've got a little bit more info now, and I know that Andy and Andrew have already gone through this in terms of the features that the that it offers. Um, and, I, and I know that some of us are going to be divided here about whether or not, I guess, the 3DS is being replaced by the Switch Lite. I personally think so. Just if we think about what's being offered here by the Switch Lite, this is basically a pure handheld version. Um, you can't dock it. It... Is smaller and lighter which is also great so it's more portable um has better battery life has a d-pad i feel like it, it's kind of capitulated to some of the features that people want um but it's not exactly a power down smaller version of the switch it's a lesser fully featured version is what i would say that's kind of what i feel at the moment um i'm definitely in the same camp as andrew here i think as a trend and probably as a person on the podcast that actually uses my, uses my Switch the most in handheld mode. I do dock it and for some games, I feel like this is almost essential. I've spoken about this before. Some games look so good on the big screen and it's a waste to not play them that way. But for pretty much every other game I've ever talked about on this podcast, I've probably played the majority of it in handheld. For someone that values the, the full portability of the Switch in that manner, I would probably have shelled out really early on for a Switch Lite, and also I think over time we've seen less and less titles actually rely on the the motion cap detachable Joy Cons, throwing stuff with your you know with your right and left hand, and you know like Wii Motion like that stuff has really kind of I think fallen out of favor in terms of design. We saw lots of that stuff super early on when the Switch was like a newfangled thing, and now I feel like it's a, a thing that we really see or hear about as like a feature or a toted feature in games. That's kind of where perhaps Nintendo's brain is lying um, and sort of where their their thoughts are headed. They kind of see potentially that the trend might be that people really just play this handheld. People don't really do all that much with docking it. People don't really set up their Switches at other people's homes and groups of four like the early Switch ads. Um, All the people that I know that I play Smash with are in different countries, just playing it handheld. So I I think that is sort of potentially where it goes. Um, I am not nearly as hard on the Switch Lite as Andrew may have been. I think that exists for a reason. I can easily see a lot of parents or existing Switch-owning households shelling out for a smaller one. Um, And from what we've heard about how data will get transferred, if you're someone that absolutely needs the D-pad and wants this extra portability and wants, to, and wants all this other stuff and doesn't really use any of the features the Switch has currently now or for some reason thinks the Switch Lite is a bad choice because of the cool colors and oh my god, the colors are great then I can see why people would buy it. I can see existing Switch owners buying this um, but will I be one of those people? No, I won't be.
0: Uh, so with that, uh, let's uh, talk about what we played uh, over this last week. The first one we're going to talk about is Rhyme. This is one I've definitely had uh, my eye on. Uh, I think I probably would have played it on Switch by now had it not been for reports of some poor performance when it first launched. Yes. Uh, I believe they promised they were working on that, but I don't know if that got sorted. Uh, And you're probably about to confirm that one way or the other.
1: Yeah, Rhyme is kind of an atmospheric adventure game. There's not really any combat, but you do spend a lot of time running away from enemies. You play as this young boy who washes up on an island after a shipwreck and has to go around exploring the island and it's very mysterious and there's these ruins you have to explore and you're being guided towards some place unknown by this fox spirit and by this person in red and I love the person in red because they just kind of appear in the background of a scene and if you're not looking for them you could even miss them and then you go around a corner or you shift camera angles and suddenly they've disappeared. It's a great effect, and I really wish they had explored that more, but this person just kind of disappears after the first third of the game. (laughs) So it's all about atmosphere. It's got great music. It's got a great cello-based soundtrack, and you just explore this island and go through different sections that focus on different concepts. And the first area, I think, is by far the best one because it's the most open, it's the most explorable, and it becomes really linear later on. But the first area focuses mostly on exploring this island and trying to find keys and other tokens you can use to progress forward. Uh, but after that, you, you, you're like, you being chased by this giant bird. And after that, you're trying to get into this center column in this weird little valley that's filled with shadow monsters that'll grab you if you get too close to them it's not a very challenging game it's more focused on its symbolism and the idea it's trying to get across which the ending will probably catch you by surprise I really I I implore you not to read up on this game in advance lest you be spoiled because going back after seeing the ending I'm like oh oh okay that that all makes sense now because This is a game that just really builds on its own mystery and its own atmosphere, and it's not very clear at the outset what it's actually about, but once you have that revelation, it's actually, it'll be pretty rewarding to replay it and see how it all ties together. But as Andy alluded to, it has had performance issues when it launched, and they have put out at least one patch, I want to say. But the game still doesn't really run any better. There's constant frame rate drops and slowdown. And since quite often you are running through an area and suddenly, like, the camera pulls out really far to give you this cinematic view of this giant bridge you're walking across and the music swells and then suddenly the game chugs. It it really ruins the whole experience and the atmosphere that they're going for. This is a cool game. Uh, it's playable on Switch. You'll get the point, but it's probably better to play it on PlayStation Four.
0: Fair. Um, yeah, it looks interesting. I, I love the the visual art style, and I I, I definitely enjoy those sort of um, pretty uh, and exploratory games where you know the combat's light, and you just the the point is to explore and find out about the world. I am all down for that sort of stuff. Uh, I think I remember the justification for the frame drops was that they felt that to cram it onto Switch, it would have to have loading screens, and that was a trade-off they were willing to make. Yeah. Um, But then in these situations, I always just point to Breath of the Wild and do a little (laughs) dance and then say there's no excuse. So (laughs) uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am on that one. Cool. So, with that, uh, let us move on to something else. Uh, let, let's hear from Ginny, where she has been playing a demo of a game called Songbird Symphony. Uh, let's hear what she thinks about that.
2: Just in terms of stuff that I've played this week, as Andy may already have mentioned, I got around to very little on account of being buried in Final Fantasy XIV, but I did try a very, 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 very cool demo for a game called Songbird Symphony. So... As the name probably suggests to you, it's a rhythm game. And I am a rhythm game fiend. Uh, This is just a demo. And the full game wasn't out yet at the time of filming the podcast. Well, recording this podcast. And I don't want to, like, spoil too much. It is a very, very adorable game. But it is a game where you're a bird adopted by a peacock. Trying to figure out who you are. (laughs) So, um, from the demo... At least from what I played, um, you get you have full access to one of the early areas in the game. There's a lot to do in that area if you don't just gun for the quest objective like I did. Um, but it is a very very delightful rhythm game, um, which kind of has rhythm game segments that are are not so much in terms of like keeping the beat and constantly moving in the way that cadence of Hyrule or other I guess traditional more traditionally based rhythm games are. You have songs you can sing via button pressing that will interact with certain animals in the universe around you and trigger certain things or events but the bulk of the rhythm game aspect is actually these karaoke segments whereby the game has exposition or delivers exposition about what you're doing and why you're there and the character you're hanging out with and this is delivered in the form of uh song so like a fugue almost they sing you sing you sing together it all kind of mashes up um and that singing um that's a rhythm game element so um like karaoke like in karaoke words will flash across the screen um there'll be a sequence of buttons to press slash hold and you have to follow that sequence to keep i guess the performance up and i found that really cute um i really liked it um the game is adorable pixel art um it is by a, a small studio, um, but it looks... I enjoyed everything that I played of the demo. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, the company is Joy's Studios, working on Songbird Symphony, by the way. And they're a Singaporean company, which I think is really cool. So, repping um, my home country. <laughs> um, so, the game is out on the 25th of July, which is about a week away or so. Um, and I think It's adorable. Um, I, I definitely feel like this game has a lot of potential. It feels nice to play a lot of rhythm games that are not just sort of straight up, just like button pressing to a song. Um, I feel like games that involve interacting with the world on a wider scale, you can often have things like input lag, things that like deadly things like input lag, which, which make the game more difficult or almost impossible to play. And there are a lot of other moving elements in this game at the same time to contend with are not just the rhythm stuff. So... It's it's impressive what I've seen. I really enjoy it, um, and you know we love our indie titles here at Switch Focus. So I recommend checking out the demo. I'm gonna pick up the full game when it comes out, so we can discuss that next week.
0: Okay, back with the uh, the two Andrews. Like next one you've been playing uh, was Little Nightmares Complete Edition. So this is uh is this the one where it's uh, like a horror game, but you're playing as the from the perspective as child.
1: It is a horror game, and you are up against monsters that are trying to grab you and or eat you and you just play as this little girl in a yellow raincoat and you've got to run through these environments and try to avoid these monsters and i i really really enjoyed this game but i think a big reason for that is i only paid seven dollars for it at the start you you you're avoiding this guy who has these super long arms he's really creepy because he can just his arms can just appear Anywhere and try to snatch you, and he's got super hearing, but he can't actually see, so you've got to sneak around him that way. Then, once you've escaped him, you end up in the kitchen uh, where there are two giant chef monsters that, if they see you, they'll grab you and they'll just start chopping you up into whatever dish it is they're working on after that. Then you get into the serving area for the kitchen where there's walrus-like people who are just gorging themselves on everything in sight, including you if they can grab you. And that's when I stopped. And I went online and I said, I really like Little Nightmares. Uh, I I think what they're going for here is the seven deadly sins. The first guy is greed. The second group is gluttony. Uh, But I would be surprised if they actually do all seven sins. Uh, And then I got back on to play some more and it turns out I only had about half an hour of the game left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this was about a three-hour game to finish the whole thing. And normally this game retails for $30. So if if you're a person Mm. who, as I've talked about in the past, needs to get some bang for their buck, uh, I would wait for this game to be on sale for $7 again. This game does have amazing production values it looks really good what i played of it i actually did love especially the kitchen level but it's super short i mean it like it just ends i couldn't believe it just was just over as soon as i started it (laughs) but this is the complete edition which came with a bunch of dlc levels which does about double the length of the game about five or six hours to finish the whole thing But I found the DLC levels much weaker than the core game. I didn't describe myself as loving any of the DLC levels. They were just fine. Uh, Those are DLC levels, so that's not really, I think, what you're selling the game for. Those are just, they're just there. But I got this for $7 during an Australian developers, indie developer sale, uh, even though this is a Bandai Namco published game. I did really enjoy it. I think it's totally worth $7 when it's on sale for that price again, and I do recommend it for that if you're into uh, stealth games or horror games or, or platformers. Uh, I, I think thanks, even though this is a 3D game, it does have a lot in common with games like Inside, so if you were into puzzle platformers like that, I think you would enjoy this.
0: Ooh, okay. That that, that got my attention. <laughs> Yeah, it's one I'm interested in and I'm I just realized how sad it is that I'm at the stage in my life that when someone says it's only a 3-hour game my ears just prick up instantly because <laughs> I'm like I can fit that in. That's well, great,
1: especially this year when the switch is getting like every month like two 100-hour games at this
0: point. <laughs> Yeah, like my completion list is is running lower than last year just cuz everything's been like a 60-hour game and mm-hmm, and yeah. I've got a bunch of these unfinished. So at some point I'm I'm going to go through and finish all these games and I'm going to have all this this quick progress, but <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I've played more games this year like in real hours than I did last year at the same time of the year, but uh my completion list is sort. I'm at 43 right now.
0: So so <laughs> Okay, you you're double mine, yeah. I'm at 20, 21 or 22. Yeah, okay, well that, that's going on my watch list, I, <laughs> I will keep an eye out for that in a future sale. Okay, uh, something I've been playing, which I, I alluded to uh, last time I was on the show, I dropped Bloodstained Ritual of the Night because of uh, the tech issues I had, and I decided to play Hollow Knight instead, and that just turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made, mm-hmm, uh, gaming-wise, mm-hmm. because Hollow Knight is spectacular. We've talked about it before. Uh, last time uh, when you played it, when it originally released, on yeah, the Switch. <laughs> um, but I, I I'd probably cover some of the same ground. But it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll try not to spend too long on it. But um, if I was to try and uh, describe it succinctly to someone, um, and use you know,
1: if you say Dark Souls, I
0: swear to God, <laughs> I, you're you're about to lose you, <laughs> to lose you. <laughs> because if I again, I. I'm I'm crossing it with another game though. Uh it's like uh Ori and the Blind Forest meets Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> uh in that it uh you know it's it's got the uh, Metroidvania set up, the exploration platformer, uh but the the rhythm uh and the the risk and reward stuff is very similar to dark souls uh the the currency is just i'm I'm, at a, I'm in a stage now where i'm getting towards the end and i've just got a bunch of currency i i want to spend but i've got nothing to spend it on and i'm trying desperately not to lose it and i'm sort of <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on this boss fight which i i could i've got an item to go power up my sword again but i'm too stubborn and i want to beat this this guy first because i'm i'm here <laughs> so i'm just a, i'm gonna stay here because i know i can keep, keep getting my stuff back <laughs> Basically, let's just run through the, the things that it's about. The art style is utterly fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, hand-drawn, gorgeous, wonderfully animated. I found out that it's by a, a three-man development team, and that is just crazy to me, because the production values on this game are just off the charts. Uh, and uh, music is just never anything but a joy. It's just sad and sorrowful, and I, I like that because I'm a masochist. But... Um, the The combat is fast and fluid. Uh, the, if I had one criticism, I kind of wish you got, uh, power ups at a quicker pace. Yeah. I feel I feel like it's a, a long time between between them, but um, it doesn't matter because the level design is is always pretty much spot on. It's uh, I've I've never disliked running through any of these environments. Um, especially now that some of them have. Changed a little bit since I hit a certain point in the story, um, and it's a it's a game about um, like finding a new area, exploring it thoroughly, and then moving on to the next area. And then once you get a new power power up, you can always go back and and do like new stuff that you couldn't before. A lot a lot of that is just sort of like optional collectibles, or uh, sometimes it's you know an important upgrade to a skill you have. And uh, I'm at that stage where like I've got most of the map unlocked and I think I've got all of the big power, so now I'm just trying to be thorough and go back through through every area and, and try and get all, all the bits and try and be as powerful as I can before I go into the the sort of end game. The level design is done in a way where it's... Um, when you get to a new area, you don't have the initial map. You have to find a guy to buy the map. Um, and even then, it's only a partial map, so there's, a, there's still a lot of exploring to do. I found that, like... Uh, say like there's an area in in this section where I need to get to the boss usually I'd sort of just try and beeline right there but it throws enough threads at me where it's just like oh I'll just go check this way out first even though I'm sure I know I'm going in the right direction and in, in a lot of cases that sort of led me to find an important thing that I could actually use to beat the boss and it's just sort of like subconscious like there's no it's not really telegraphed but I find in the later game uh, I'm starting to get to a point where it's like, okay, what do I need to do? And it's just about bringing up the map and like figuring out where haven't I been yet. I just love exploring this world. I think I've been playing it for something like eighteen hours, and time just flies when I'm playing it. Like it, it's just it just makes time feel like no no time at all. Uh, I adore it. I absolutely recommend it. And uh, yeah, more people should play it, uh, especially if you like Ori and the Blind Forest and Daxel's. <laughs> so like I've I I played Ori like before Bloodstained and I said like that was like the new standard by which I judge all exploration platformers and Hollow Knight has just lived up to that well and truly uh, in a different style a more challenging style but it's 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 up there I think that those two in particular are cream of the crop in this genre absolutely uh, and I think we should rename Metroidvanias as Ori Knights if that's the convention we're going for
1: we should just call them adventure platformers
0: no, Ori Knights the new standard I, I think just as a fun game I'm going to play from now on is just whenever I like a game I'm just going to come up with a, with a fake name for it just mashing up two two modern, modern <laughs> game names to make a new genre uh, just to wind people up see if any stick Okay, the next thing that uh, Andrew has been playing is uh, Skulls of the Shogun, a bonafide edition. Uh, I had a quick glance at this one during the week, I think. Is this the strategy game?
1: Yeah, it is a strategy game where you play as a samurai warrior who was just on the cusp of becoming Shogun of all Japan after crushing all the of his enemies beneath his heel, and then Just as he's about to assume power, he is stabbed in the back by somebody who he does not see, and he winds up in the afterlife, and the gates into heaven are blocked by this army of skeletons, so this recently dead samurai king is just incensed, and he rallies all of the ronin samurai who are just locked out of the afterlife uh, to turn against this army that's occupying the the gates so that the way they can get in and it's a turn-based strategy game uh it it works basically like any other turn-based strategy game that you played you select one of your units they can move in a, a certain circle on the map and if there's an enemy in that circle then they can attack them and when an enemy dies they leave their skull on the ground and you can actually eat your enemy's skulls to regain health, and it actually even empowers the unit. They gain extra health on top of that health regain that they get. And if they eat three enemy skulls with the same unit, that unit gets powered up into a demon form where they can attack twice in one turn. And it's all just about going across all these single-screen battlefields with usually your pre-built army, although there are some maps where you can summon additional units and those take a little more strategy. Uh, this was a really popular like indie strategy game. I, I I don't know why it took so long to come to Switch, but it is here, finally. Uh, this used to be, before Wargroove came out, this was kind of like the indie equivalent of Advance Wars, even though it plays not at all like Advance Wars, so I don't know why people were recommending it like that. But that was how <laughs> I'd always heard it described. This is really deep strategy. Like Even now, I'm still... Unlocking and being introduced to new mechanics like uh, every map you have your general on the map and he starts each battle meditating and He actually grows stronger and stronger the longer you let him meditate So you can either move him out right away at the very start of the map so that way he can get some early dominance Or you can leave him to power up and bring him in at the back half of the battle where he's more powerful, to make up for the fact that your units probably got their butts kicked while they didn't have their powerhouse unit on the field. I'm only like a very short way into this game, but as a strategy game, it seems pretty good. Uh, I could get into this, and it's got a full campaign, and it's got online multiplayer, but it it seems like a a solid strategy choice for an indie title on the Switch.
0: Um, So at this point, not as good as Wargroove?
1: It's a completely different thing than War Groove. I, I wouldn't even recommend one over the other. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh. But if War like tenacity and the amount of effort you have to put into it, even now that I think they've had the the rebalancing in it, uh, I think Skulls of the Shogun requires less investment to get into, and uh, it's cheaper too. I think, which might be a selling okay. point for some people.
0: Cool. Yeah. I like I love turn-based strategy, but I I did bounce off War Groove sadly. And uh, I kind of feel like I've missed my chance on that. Uh, maybe I'll have a poke around now that we've mentioned it. <laughs> uh okay, and the the last thing you played uh was uh Dead in Vinland, true Viking edition. Um I love me some some Viking fiction. Uh I but I know next to nothing about this one. Uh what is it?
1: Uh Dead in Vinland is a survival management sim where you play as this family who have recently lost their home. They were chased away from their Viking village by, I think, their fellow villagers. Like, exactly what the situation there was isn't fully explained for me yet. The the dad, the patriarch of this Viking clan, he mentions that they got attacked because he's a literal bastard, which was a big deal in the Middle Ages, uh, if, you, if your parentage was in question. But also, the family's sister-in-law is... A literal witch. So there's probably all kinds of things happening there, but anyway, they get chased out of their home with the father and the mother and their teenage daughter and the sister-in-law, who's a witch. And they go on this boat that they've stolen, which eventually gets destroyed in a storm, and they wash up on this island. And they get themselves settled in this island. They're just starting to survive. And then they find out that the island is home to this kind of brutish warlord who just shows up and beats the heck out of them, leaves them in a bloody mess, and then says, if you want to live on this island, you're going to have to pay me a tribute once a week so in addition to feeding themselves and building up their local settlement they also have to deal with this warlord uh, by giving him a tribute once a week of whatever it is he arbitrarily asks to have and also when you're out exploring the island you have got to deal with his uh, roving bands of just bandits basically is what they are and this is what really drew me to the game. The first thing I saw of it was the combat, which is very Darkest Dungeon. Uh, it, it The whole animation style could be compared very strongly to Darkest Dungeon. It's not as striking, but it has a similar thing where it has static images, which are manipulated and animated in a very dynamic way to give them a lot of life, even though there's really not a lot of movement happening uh, it it doesn't work as well as Darkest Dungeon, but the the character models are also a lot more detailed, so when, when they're just standing there motionless, it's a bit nicer to look at. And the combat does work a lot like Darkest Dungeon. Everything away from that, even though Darkest Dungeon and Dead in Vinland both have strong management sim aspects, Dead in Vinland is much more complicated than Darkest Dungeon because every character has all kinds of stats you need to keep track of they'll have different strengths and weaknesses that they are good at like at the start my patriarch character i think his name is Eirik, uh, he he's pretty good at chopping wood and the daughter is a good huntress and a good explorer so like every day i was having the dad chop wood so he could build stuff while the daughter goes out and explores the island and this is where i ran into trouble because with The sister-in-law, the witch, uh, one of the goals I had very early on in the game was uh, to fully salvage all the stuff off of our shipwreck. So I was having her do that every day. And every day her depression meter was getting higher and higher. Finally, it reached a point where after like a week of doing that, uh, her depression meter was almost capped out, and I was like, I better pull this off before something terrible happens. <laughs> so I switched my daughter and I switched my sister-in-law between the two jobs to give them a break from each other to see if that would hopefully stop the worst from happening. And then that night uh they had a small argument about all the things that were happening that's that's one thing you do is every night they all kind of check in with each other and you've got to feed everybody to make sure that they don't go hungry and you've got to make sure that they stay hydrated and those are all the management stuff that you have to do during the day and but at night they also talk to each other and there's a whole ongoing story uh they really get involved in like the relationships, there's a lot of dialogue in this game, and it's all actually pretty well written. I was really drawn to these characters, even though I've barely even penetrated this game yet. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of text and a lot of dialogue and a lot of plot twists that I'm yet to encounter, and already I am really attached to these characters. But they had a little little fight, and that drove my sister-in-law's depression meter up to 100%. And she committed suicide that night, and that was game over. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It it also has a sense of humor. Uh, the daughter, one time when I sent her out to explore the island, she found this camp filled with this guy's laundry. And I decided to poke around the camp a little more. And I found the guy's corpse. Turns out he was doing his laundry in the river and got crushed by a tree. And I found a beaver dam nearby there. So, (laughs) death by beavers. (laughs) 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 Poor guy. (laughs) Oh, wow. I like it. This This is a PC game, and you can tell, much like Darkest Dungeon, it's been adapted to play on the Switch. And much like Darkest Dungeon, the controls aren't immediately intuitive but they do work once you figure them out like I spent about five minutes just trying to figure out how to activate this thing on the screen because you do have to toggle between like the the meta menu that lets you control everything and like the actual on-screen menu of the things that are on the the screen you're looking at by pressing the x button nothing told me to do that so I was just sitting there just (laughs) trying to figure out how to activate this circle that it was telling me to activate that was a little frustrating But once I got the controls figured out, I was speeding through things pretty well. I've been on the lookout constantly for a survival game that I can get into, and, you know, this is telling an interesting story that I'm already into. The survival stuff I'm struggling with because uh, I don't know how to do anything about this depression, which is affecting my entire family, including one of them, to the point that I had a game over. (laughs) So I don't know what to do about that yet, but that's part of the survival thing is you need to figure these things out. Uh, But I'm clueless on what I need to do right now, but I'm eager to get back into it and find a solution to that problem. And there's a story mode, but there's also just a sandbox mode where you can just select from a, a cast of survivors because there are more characters than just this family, but... Even if you just want to play just for the story mode, that's there too, and it seems like a pretty good quality story mode. I, I think, I mean, I I might change my mind later on, I'm still early on, but I think if you're looking for a survival sim and a management sim on the Switch, this is looking at the outset like one of the better options up there with Darkest Dungeon.
0: Nice, and you have just reminded me of another game I bought and haven't played yet in Darkest Dungeon <laughs> awesome that, that's
1: another 100 hour game by the
0: way <laughs> <laughs> oh god so right cut that bit out um again Andrew what are you playing in the coming week as if I had to ask Dragon
1: Quest Builders Dose
0: nice uh and great from all accounts I've seen so far uh-huh. uh huh <laughs> uh I still need to play the f- the first one so that's yep that's another one I I bought and still haven't got to. Uh I will be finishing off Hollow Knight as a priority uh, as if I could play anything else at this point. Uh but come this Friday I'll be starting Ultimate Alliance 3. Yeah um, me too. So so we'll we'll have a little overview of of that one in in the next episode I'm sure.
2: And obviously, I'll be playing Dragon Quest Builders too, so you can look forward to me yelling about that.
0: And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, and if you want to follow the three regular panellists on Twitter, you can do so. Uh, I'm at toast Andrew is at play critically and also streams at twitch.tv forward slash playcritically, and Ginny is at ginnywoes.